Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, where once again this week we'll be talking about a practical issue related to ministry leadership. Uh, This week and next week, I'd like to spend two weeks on the podcast talking about the subject of integrity in ministry leadership. Now, integrity is a key uh, quality of effective leaders, and quite honestly, uh, one that's been talked about a lot, but sometimes I think is talked about in such generalities that we fail to get a grip on or a grasp on what it really takes to live a life of integrity. So today, I want to try to be as practical as possible, first starting out with a definition and then talking about uh, what the word means and how we can apply what it means, and then over the rest of this podcast and in the next week, talking about some spiritual foundations that are uniquely accessible to Christian leaders, which contribute to our maintaining integrity as leaders, but particularly integrity as Christian leaders. So let's start by talking about a definition of integrity. Uh, The word integrity actually comes from a Latin root word uh, that forms the same root from which we get the English word integer. Now, the word integer is a math term which means whole number. So a 1, a 3, a 5, a 14, those are integers. But a fraction, 2 thirds, 5 eighths, 9 sixteenths, uh, those are not integers. So an integer in math is a whole number. So the root word for integrity, the same root from which we get the word integer, emphasizes that a person with integrity is a person who is whole, undivided, or integrated. Now what that means is that all aspects of a person are congruent. They all go together. It means that you don't live a compartmentalized life so that you have one set of behaviors in one location or one area of life and another set of behaviors in another location or area of life. To have integrity means that you're the same person everywhere, that you are integrated, are congruent, or that all aspects of your life uh, line up. Think of it this way. Uh, Your beliefs, your actions, and your words all have to line up. They all have to uh, be integrated. They all have to be congruent. So to help you understand that, and this is where I wish today this was a video blog or a vlog rather than uh, just a uh, podcast, But if you could hold up three fingers and look at them for a moment and think of one of those fingers as your beliefs and one of those as your actions and one of those as your words. Now, a person of integrity has all three of those things, but they all line up. So when you hold your your fingers out in front of you, you see one, two, three, beliefs, actions, words. Now turn your hand sideways so that the fingers are all lined up so that really you only see one finger or one lineup of fingers. That's a person who's integrated. Their beliefs, their words, and their actions all line up. They're, they, they're congruent with one another. They're not divided. They're not compartmentalized. If you put one finger out of line, you can see that perhaps your words are out of line with your actions and beliefs. That means you're not integrated. Or maybe you stick a different finger out and it's your actions that are not lined up. So your beliefs and your words line up, but your actions don't. You get the idea. So this little three-finger salute, as I call it, is very helpful in understanding what it means to be integrated or what it means to be a person of integrity. 
It means that your beliefs, your words, and your actions all line up so that when you see those three fingers, you don't see three distinct compartmentalized aspects of life, but instead you see them all lined up uh, as one, all contributing to each other and all supporting each other. Now, the major challenge of life, uh, of integrity in ministry leadership, is to be integrated not just on our words, beliefs, and actions, but to be integrated in those areas, words, beliefs, and actions, in three key arenas of life, and that's home, church, and community. Now, think of it this way. You want your beliefs, your words, and your actions to all line up, and you want them to all line up at home, and all line up the same way in your church or ministry responsibilities, and then all line up in your community, meaning in your public life. And so when you're seen by anyone in any location at any time, uh, you're seen as the same person in all locations at all times in every way. So your words, beliefs, and actions all line up, and your words, beliefs, and actions in your home line up with your words, beliefs, and actions expressed in your public ministry leadership or in your church responsibilities, and your words, beliefs, and actions all line up uh, in your community as well, and the way that you uh, act and believe and um, speak in your home is the same as the way you act, believe, and speak in your community as the same that you act, believe, and speak in your church responsibilities. This is what it means to have integrity. Now, a good illustration of this happened to me a few years ago. I represented the seminary at the installation service of another seminary president. I, I was there in a, in a formal capacity so that our school would be represented in the moment. I really did not know the person who was being installed. I had uh, perhaps only met him once, and we were certainly by no means good friends. And so I was there really as, a, as an observer and a participant and in a symbolic way indicating that we had a unity with this other particular school or a fellowship with this other particular school. So I'm listening to the various speakers and aspects of the program. And at one point in the program, this uh, person's children were invited to come to the platform and speak. <clears throat> and so they came, stood around the pulpit, and one of them stepped forward and said something like this. Um, I'm here today to speak about our dad on behalf of my siblings, and here's what we want you to know about him. Our dad is the same person everywhere. Whether he's coaching me in basketball, or preaching a sermon, or delivering a lecture in a classroom, or at home with our mom, or in any location, in any of these places, with any of these people, he's the same person everywhere. And that's why we respect him so much, and that's why we're proud of him today as he takes on this leadership role. Well, when this young man said those words, my, my ears perked up, and I thought, that may be the most important thing I've heard said in this service so far and may eclipse anything that's to be spoken after. Here's a teenage boy who knows his dad well, who's seen him in all kinds of circumstances, in professional responsibilities and community activities and in, in, and in their home. And for him to stand up in front of this crowd and say, my dad is the same man everywhere, was a strong endorsement of his integrity as a man, uh, as a husband, as a father, as a church leader, and as a community leader. He's the same person everywhere. So when you start thinking about the concept of integrity, the first place to begin is to think about what it means to be a person who's the same everywhere. Your words, beliefs, and actions all line up. 
And your words, beliefs, and actions all line up in your home, and your words, beliefs, and actions all line up at church and in your ministry responsibilities, and your church and your words, beliefs, and actions all line up in your community or your community activities or your community life so that people would say this very same thing of you. We see a person who's the same wherever he or she is. They're integrated. They're undivided. They're not compartmentalized. Their life all adds up, and we see them as a person of wholeness, a person of integrity. Now, not only are there three aspects of life and three arenas of life, but there's also three problem areas that leaders must really focus on in order to maintain integrity. Uh, and those three leaders are those three areas are money, sex, and power. These are what I call the unholy trinity of leadership destruction. Uh, these are the three forces that are at work in our world that seem to be particularly uh, aggressive at trying to undermine leaders. And in almost every case, in almost every case that I know a leader who's um, been dismissed or disciplined or in some way made some serious mistake that's hampered his or her leadership per, uh, performance or leadership uh, uh, ability, it always traces back to one or more of these three issues, money, sex, and power. So it's important for us to understand what it means to live a life of undivided wholeness in our words, beliefs, and actions in relationship to money, and undivided wholeness in our words, beliefs, and actions in relationship to sexuality, and undivided wholeness in our words, beliefs, and actions in relationship to power. These three problem areas will trip you up if you are not careful. It's essential that you understand what it means to manage these three areas appropriately and to bring to bear a wholeness, a completeness, a, a, a sense of being undivided in these issues as well. One of the things that's most troublesome about leadership today is how people compartmentalize one or more of these areas. They may be a financial genius and able to lead their organization to financial success, while at the same time exercising power appropriately, meaning that they manage people well, manage processes well, uh, treat people with essential fairness, and, and, uh, and are known for those kind of relationships. But at the same time, they're maintaining uh, an immoral lifestyle, either through pornography or voyeurism or sometimes even illicit relationships, and they are able to justify their continued leadership, and their organization may even uh, tolerate their continued leadership because they excel in the financial area or they excel in the power area, but they're not doing so well in the moral area. We call that compartmentalization, and it's a, and it's a value that many people in our culture seem to think is important for leaders. And in some sense, being able to compartmentalize is a good skill, but only when you're able to compartmentalize for decision-making uh, that's appropriate within the bounds of integrity. Then it is a strength. But what many people mean by compartmentalization is that they're able to separate out one aspect of their lives, and as long as they excel in these other two areas, then they can be weak or they can be um, actually uh, evil or immoral or in a way that's undermining their work in this third area. That's not appropriate for Christian leaders. We have to have integrity in how we use money and how we manage sexuality and how we demonstrate and use power. And having integrity in those three areas uh, is essential for undermining what I call this unholy trinity 
of leader of uh, of uh, leadership forces that try to undermine and attack what we do. So let's summarize all of this information about what it means to have integrity. First, integrity comes from the same Latin root word for from which we get the word integer. So the root of integrity is wholeness, being undivided, being complete, being integrated, meaning that all we are fits together with congruity. And I've said that integrity is when your beliefs, actions, and words all line up. Again, not three fingers that you can see distinctly, but turn them to the side. One set of fingers that all fit together that look like one, so that our words, actions, and beliefs all line up. And it's important that they line up in every arena, our area of life, so that our words, actions, and beliefs line up at home, in our church, our church leadership responsibilities, and in our community or our public life. And when our words, beliefs, and actions all line up in these three areas, we're living a life of integrity. And then it's important that we be the same person in all three of these locations or all three of these arenas of life. That's another demonstration of integrity. We're not one person in private at home and another person in public in church or community. No, we're the same person everywhere. And then we bring to bear this same kind of uh, integrated congruity by being the same person, our words, beliefs, and actions all lining up as we deal with money, sexuality, and the use of power. And by doing so, we avoid the destructive forces that can come at us in these three areas particularly to undermine our leadership effectiveness. So uh, that's what it means to have integrity, and that's what integrity looks like, and that's the goal we're striving for. Now let's move to another major area of the presentation, and that is to talk about some spiritual foundations that will help us to live with this kind of integrity. Now, I'm su- I suppose there could be 25 of these, but over the years I've distilled it into three. And I want to talk about the first one today, and then I'll come back and talk about the other two next week. The first spiritual foundation, which is vital for me, is this, is this affirmation. I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. This simple statement motivates me toward integrity. Because I recognize that I am not my boss, that I am not the ultimate authority in my life, nor do I get to have the final word on how I believe my behavior should be uh, demonstrated or conducted. I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Uh, You don't make him Lord, you only submit to his Lordship. Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is an outstanding passage to underscore the Lordship of Jesus Christ and help you to understand what it means to live in submission to his Lordship. A number of years ago, I memorized that passage of Scripture, and it's been a watchword for me over the years to help me understand what it means to continually reorient my life to Jesus Christ and continually remind myself that he's in charge of me. Uh, He's the boss over me. He's my master. Uh, He's the person that I submit to willingly and regularly that I might live a life that honors and pleases him. And so when I start drifting in any area, um, I'm caught up, I'm brought up short. Um, I'm forced to face the reality that as long as my behavior, uh, that at any time my behavior is outside that which Jesus would prescribe and affirm, then I have slipped in my integrity and I need to bring myself back into that alignment. 
You know, Jesus' lordship is established by God's authority. Uh, Jesus claimed all authority had been given to him in Matthew 28, 18, and that he had received his authority from God, and you see that in Acts 2, 36. And he, as, as that Philippians passage mentions that I've already referenced, uh, he received and experienced all of this authority coming together uh, because of his work on the cross for us. And not just that work on the cross, but Jesus' lordship excuse me, is also validated by his resurrection. Both Ephesians 1.20 and Revelation 1.18 talk about the fact that Jesus' resurrection was a validation or a demonstration of his ultimate authority. And as you go through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus' lordship is demonstrated by his miracles. Uh, he had power over nature and disease and demons and death. Uh, you can find multiple stories to illustrate these, uh, these uh, uh, different categories. But Jesus demonstrated his authority by having, by having miraculous power over life circumstances. Uh, the Bible says his authority, or excuse me, his lordship is timeless. He's always been Lord. He's Lord right now. He'll always be Lord. You can see that in Colossians, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 and Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. And Jesus' lordship encompasses everything, and that definitely includes you and me. Colossians 1, 18 and Philippians 2, 10 and 11 say that Jesus has supremacy over everything, and Jesus has supremacy over everyone. Well, Jesus is Lord and you have a choice to make if you will submit to his lordship. Now, it's likely if you're listening to this podcast on Christian leadership that you've made this decision. But I want to underscore that this is a one-time decision that you make with continuing um, update choices made on almost a daily basis to submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and continually to live under that lordship. You know, there are some spiritual practices that help me uh, to reinforce my submission to Jesus as Lord. One of those is devotional Bible reading. I wake up most days and read from the Bible, asking God to speak to me and to give me incremental correction to show me ways that he wants me to be shaped or changed or improved so that I can go forward uh, really following him on that particular day. Uh, this incremental correction is what I want to, want, to, want to have happen in my life. Uh, you know, my mother uh, owned many horses over the years, but one of my favorite was a registered cutting horse that she had. Uh, this horse had an intuitive ability to work with cattle and to separate out the one that you wanted to brand or the one you wanted to inoculate. It anticipated my mother's uh, desires even before she would even tense the reins and try to direct the horse. It's a brilliant animal that had a deeply ingrained capacity to know exactly what to do. Uh, you know, I want that kind of incremental correction. I want the reins of God's leadership to just touch me and me instantly to go in the direction he wants. I don't want to be like some old Missouri mule, uh, you know, that has its heels dug in saying, you've got to drag me forward, God. I want to be instantly obedient to his initial direction. And that's what daily Bible reading does for me. It gives me incremental correction and reminds me to be in constant submission to Jesus as Lord. Another discipline that reinforces submission to Jesus, and this one may surprise you, is Sabbath rest. Making sure that I get the right rest so that I stay oriented properly to Jesus as Lord, recognizing that he can get more done through me in six days than I can get done for him in seven. 
and reminding myself by frequent rest that it's really Jesus who's at work in me and through me and that I need to trust him to advance his work and not be so stressed and not be so overworked in the cause. Another practice that reinforces submission to Jesus as Lord is worship attendance. Now, quite frequently when I'm in a worship service, I'm the preacher. But I have to discipline myself to make sure that I participate in worship services and worship events where I'm a worshiper, where I have the word of God spoken to me and I have an opportunity to respond. Uh, Just a few days ago, I was attending a worship service at my church and the invitation was given for people to come forward who wanted prayer. And I found myself slipping into the aisle and going forward because of a particular need that I have right now. And by going and standing publicly with others in the front of my congregation, I let it be known to them and to myself and, and saying uh, again to God, I'm, I'm under your authority. I need your help. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that you're my Lord. And so public response in worship attendance helps as well. And then devotional prayer also. Uh, spending time praying and asking God for his direction, his guidance, and disciplining myself to put myself before him on a regular basis, acknowledging my weakness and asking him to guide me. You say, well, those things aren't all that dramatic. Devotional prayer, devotional uh, Bible reading, worship attendance, and responding to God in worship, resting appropriately so that you stay sharp and evidenced by your rest, your dependence on God. I realize these things aren't necessarily earth-shaking, but it's amazing It's amazing how many Christian leaders don't practice these simple disciplines. These disciplines help to reinforce my devotion to Jesus and my submission to Jesus as Lord. And then, over the years, there have been a number of prayers that have helped reinforce my submission to Jesus as my Lord. And these prayers have happened to me, or have come to me, at different juncture points in my life, moments when I was really turning a corner, if you will, or when I came to a crossroads and had to choose a direction. Um, I've used these prayers over and over. They're, they're not mantras I chant or anything like that, but they're just prayers I go back to from time to time to help me to reinforce my submission to Jesus as Lord. Let me, let me share some of them with you. One is this, Lord, I'm expendable. Another day or a decade of life, whatever pleases you. You know, I was at an event called YouthLink 2000 back at the turn of the millennium. And at that youth event, I was there, of course, as a sponsor, and I had my own family there with me. But at the stroke of midnight, when the year 2000 was dawning, we were all asked to write a short prayer and say to God how we wanted to live in this millennium. And this was the prayer I wrote, Lord, I am expendable. Lord, I don't matter. My empire, my kingdom, my legacy, none of that matters. What matters is your kingdom's expanse. And so, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, whether that's a little or a lot, it's immaterial. Whatever will most advance your kingdom, that's what I want you to do with me. So, Lord, I'm expendable. I'm offering myself to you. Do whatever you'd like with me, but advance your kingdom through me. Another prayer is, came to me from a dialogue with a military officer. Sometimes I pray this prayer, Lord, I serve at your pleasure. Use me or not, whatever pleases you. You know, for many years I prayed this prayer, Lord, I serve at your pleasure. Use me. But then I one day was confronted with the arrogance of that request. Why would I assume that God has to use me to advance his kingdom. So I changed my prayer to this one. Lord, I serve at your pleasure. Use me or not, 
whatever pleases you. I got this insight, as I said, from a military officer who once told me that when he gave an order, he expected it to be obeyed, whether the person receiving the order understood its importance or not, and whether the person receiving the order knew uh, or valued what was to be done or not, it didn't really matter. The person receiving the order was supposed to salute and say, yes, sir, and carry out what he'd been instructed to do, no matter his appraisal of the relative importance of the act. And so I started praying this way, Lord, use me or not, whatever pleases you, that's what I'm willing to do today. And then another prayer that's similar to the first two, but phrased a little differently, I prayed this prayer, Lord, your kingdom matters, mine doesn't. Use me to advance your cause in whatever way you choose. Now, I got this prayer one day in my devotions from reading about Paul's imprisonment in Acts chapter 24. I've always been puzzled by this verse of Scripture that says that Paul waited, was imprisoned and waited two years in that prison because he refused to bribe his way out. It says that the Roman authorities were holding him there, hoping for some gain to come to them before Paul was released. And he stayed in prison for two years. One day I read that verse, and I, I literally laid my Bible down, and I said, God, what were you thinking? You know, over in Acts 16, Paul got put in prison, and he prayed and worshiped, and an earthquake came and released him, and he led the jailer and his family to faith in Christ. Lord, here he's in prison for two years. Why no second earthquake? What's wrong with you, God? Why can't you see that this is a waste of a man's life to leave him in prison for two years? Now, that kind of praying uh, was honest and frank as I called out to God and asked him to help me understand why he would do something like that. And this insight came, Jeff, uh, my plans are not your plans. My methods are not your methods. If I choose to leave someone in prison for two years, then I choose to do that for my purposes, and I will advance my kingdom how I want it advanced, not how you think best. And so I've been praying since that day prayers more like this. God, use me today to advance your kingdom by whatever means you choose. Lord, your methods matter. Mine don't. So help me remember that. And then a final prayer for me has been this one. Lord, you're God, and I'm not. Help me keep that straight today. Now, these prayers, as I said, they're not mantras that I chant or I don't pray them all for every day or anything like that, but these are prayers I've got written in a little notebook that I've kept, and they're prayers that have come to me at key juncture points in my life over the years, and they're prayers that particularly for me reinforce the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When I pray, Lord, I'm expendable, use me or not. When I pray, Lord, I serve at your pleasure, another decade or another day, whatever pleases you, or Lord, your kingdom matters, mine doesn't, or Lord, you're God, I'm not. When I pray these prayers, I remember these key spiritual moments in my life when I, through a conversation or through a spiritual time of prayer and reflection in my devotions or by being in an event and having God really speak to me, I remember in those crystallizing moments these simple prayers that came to me and when I pray them, I'm taken, I'm taken back to those moments, and I remember afresh, Jesus is Lord. I'm in submission to him, and how I control and conduct my words, actions, 
beliefs and how I express my words, actions, and beliefs in my home and church and community and how I align my words, actions, and beliefs to manage my money and sexuality and use of power, how all that comes together is strengthened by my frequent submission to Jesus as my Lord. And so today, I hope you be motivated to live a life of integrity, of wholeness, of being undivided, of having congruity between your words, beliefs, and actions in key areas of life and overcome these crucial challenges to ministry leadership of money, sex, and power. And one key thing that will help you do that is this spiritual affirmation. I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. Let's be men and women of integrity. Lead on.